for being here. I'm Emma Goldblatt, and I'm the program manager here at Shemaim. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for coming. This is going to be a really exciting uh, panel. It's an intersectional panel, and it'll incorporate everything that you know we fight for. So it'll be really great. Um, and this is also the first joint program with Uri Letzedek and Shemaim. Uh, if you didn't already know, Shemaim is merging to be part of Uri Letzedek. This is our first program together. And yeah, um, so just so you know, Shemaim Jewish Animal Advocacy is a nonprofit organization that offers programs, campaigns, and educational opportunities to teach the Jewish community about animal advocacy and veganism. And Uri Letzedek is an orthodox social justice organization guided by Torah values and dedicated to combating suffering and oppression. Through community-based education, leadership development, and action, Uri Letzedek creates discourse, inspires leaders, and empowers the Jewish community towards creating a more just world. And the speakers that we have today, you can see we have, we have Jonah Goldman, who is the co-founder and director of marketing at Plant Burger. Um, we have Eddie, who is the campaign director at Uri Litzedek and an advocate for workers' rights. And Rabbi Shmuley, who is the founder and president of both Shemaim and Uri Litzedek. Um, I don't know if each of you wants to just pop in and <laughs> say a couple words introducing yourself. We can start with Jonah. All right. Um, well, thank you so much, Emma, for that introduction. And, and thank you so much for, for hosting me for this conversation. Uh, so I'm Jonah Goldman. I am one of the co-founders and the director of marketing at Plant Burger um, and have been interested and passionate about food and food systems and food justice for uh, really as long as I can remember, uh, <laughs> ever since I was 10 years old and had the revelation when I visited an animal sanctuary that Animals are being turned into uh, what I was eating and, and, um, and through a system that I really disagreed with. And uh, I'm not sure how long these introductions are supposed to go. So I'll just, I can keep it to that and uh, dive deeper in later on. That's great. Thank you so much. Um, Rabbi Shmuley, if you'd like to say a couple words. Sure. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I, my name is Shmuley Yanklowitz, and I, uh, for a long time, I've been concerned. Uh, well, I've, I've been a big lover of food since I was born. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it took a long time after being a lover of food to actually care about the ethics of food. And then I started caring about um, the immigrant workers involved. And then I started caring about the animals involved. And somehow, um, these two eventually came together in thinking about food justice issues. And I'm glad you know, to, uh, to be a part of this work with, with all of you. Great, thank you. And Eddie? Yeah, no, thank you so much. Uh, such a great panel, such a great group of folks here. Uh, Eddie Chavez Calderon, he, him, his. I have had the honor to lead Uri Lutzedek's immigration justice work with uh, my amazing uh, great friend and mentor, Rabbi Shmuley. It has been just a, an amazing journey to be able to fight for workers' rights and uplift Kashru and uplift all the amazing work that can come from that. Uh, so this is a great panel, great conversation to have. Great, thank you so much. Um, all right, well, we are just gonna jump in um, with some questions. And then at the very end, we will do a Q&A where we will ask the audience uh, 
to raise their hand and ask a question. But yeah, I'm going to start with a question for Jonah. Uh, how does your Judaism apply in your worker practices? Thank you. Um, yeah, it's it's a really interesting question. And um, there's, there's a lot that we do uh, as an organization to try and cultivate a sense of belonging and community uh, with everyone who, who is a part of our mission and our, our business to um, empower them uh, and to educate them around what, uh, what it is that we're doing, how they are an integral piece and part of it, and how together we achieve uh, systemic change. Um, the interesting decision that I think we made at the beginning of the pandemic was to uh, continue to uh, to grow and to take advantage of opportunities to provide more people with work um, at a time where uh, a lot of restaurants were shuttering. We we had been presented with this opportunity to um, develop our, our footprint in the Whole Foods. And uh, so we, we did take that opportunity. And um, as part of that, we wanted to ensure that everyone who uh, who joined our team had resources to uh, to be able to speak English and to speak Spanish, since many of our, our teams are bilingual. Um, and we would have people who uh, had never communicated in English, who through, uh, we <laughs> provided Duolingo, and we also, we had uh, classes at the beginning of the, hit, uh, of the shift huddles, uh, really made an effort to empower our teams to uh, emphasize communication and trust um, between each other. And, and again, having a culture of, um, togetherness uh, through, through language, through education, through uh, a mission um, is, is one component of how we try to apply Jewish values to our company culture. Um, but I think also in a systemic way, when we consider where um, really workers' rights are being violated the most and, uh, and the consequences of industrial animal agriculture on people, um, it's quite clear that uh, these processing plants and uh, manufacturing facilities have the highest rates of injuries, mental illness, trauma, post-traumatic stress. Um, and it's because they're, you know, inflicting, they're the agents of, of violence. And uh, so to try and shift towards a plant-based system means to shift towards uh, a system that embraces Jewish values of um, joy and life and compassion um, rather than uh, using humans and, and uh, really abusing humans um, in an exploitive, extractive system that does not see their individuality and their, their value um, has been kind of reduced to a, <laughs> you know, a cog in a machine in a way that um, that is a system that we actively seek to change and fight uh, through growing the plant-based sector and growing um, the market for, uh, for these products uh, to shift towards more just and um, ethical treatment for, for all people, for all workers and for all animals. <clears throat> Great, thank you so much. Um, Rabbi Shmuley, I have a question. What role does our Judaism play in fighting for both worker rights and animal rights? Wow, that's a loaded one. Thank you so much. Personally, I just want to give a few shout outs. It's great to be with Jonah Goldman. I love Plant Burger. When I'm on the East Coast, I love, I love eating over there. And with Eddie, who's just one of my great heroes um, and, and activists. And Emma's just a, such a great addition to the team. 
I also see two people I, uh, you know, admire a lot here. Uh, Dr. Richard Schwartz, who's been in this movement for decades, and my friend and colleague, uh, Jeffrey Spitz-Cohan, who, uh, from Jewish Veg, just doing awesome work over there, and love partnering with him, respect him and work so much. And so many other friends here, our friends from other side, Jessica and Nick, and, and, so th and all of you who are on the live stream or are listening by recording, we value you and your ideas and to roll up our sleeves and get involved in this movement work together. Um, and there is just so much to do. There's just so much to do. And so the Torah on, 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 on this, geez, there's, we could literally spend hours on, on, on that front. But just a few reflections that I've been thinking about. The first is just this idea that what fundamentally makes us humans and the humans we are, it emerges right out of the Garden of Eden story, right? From the very first act of food consumption, from the Eitzhadat Tovarah, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the birth of moral consciousness itself is born out of the first act of food consumption. That is to say, the most moral choice we make in our lives is the food we eat um, on every level that we know of, its impact on the land and on human bodies and on non-human animal bodies. And, um, and that is what our tradition understood very early on in regards to uh, notions of kashrut, expanding our food consciousness, notions of brachot, of making blessings on the food we eat and having an integrity in our relationship to it. And in a way it's easier than ever today and it's, in a way it's harder than ever today. In a way it's easier than ever today because we just know so much. There's a lot of transparency and we understand and we have alternatives. And in a way it's harder because um, uh, there's almost a relativism. There's almost a sense that any, any kind of choices is in some ways valid. Um, you know, you eat kosher, you don't. You eat animals, I don't. Um, you, go to, you go to establishments that treat workers well, and I choose ones that just taste good to me. And the moral issues are just kind of thrown into this relativistic mix of live and let live. Um, when actually this is one of the most pressing issues as we look at human dignity and of animal welfare and of climate change. And so how do we build a culture of respect and tolerance that understands very different choices, but also raises the bar on what the Torah makes such a clear priority? This priority, which is a mystical dimension, the mystical dimension to see beyond the surface level. If I live on the surface level, I'm like, I wanna eat what tastes good and what is cheap, because who cares? Like that's about, it, it, it's a me generation, right? It's about me, like I want what, it's cheap and tastes good to me. Like, who cares? What else matters, right? But as soon as I expand my sphere of consciousness to say, like, no, like, actually, Torah is about empathy. It's about compassion. Then the things I eat have to in some way reflect that. And none of us is going to be perfect. Maybe we're really strong on the worker side and not on the animal side. Maybe opposite. Maybe we're really good on the environmental side, but not on the human health side. I mean, there's so many components to how we think about our food choices that we can all grow in. And beautiful that we're in the month of Elul, leading up to Rosh Hashanah, to think about our own teshuvah, our own complicity in systems of oppression, our own um, need to ask forgiveness to systems way bigger than us. How do I, how do I, Shmuley Yanklowitz, ask forgiveness of the many animals I consumed and harmed in my first 20 years of life when I didn't even think about those issues? How do I think about all the workers I didn't even see behind the the counter behind in the back room, I didn't even think about their dignity, right? Um, on many levels. And so what a great month to be thinking about this.
That's my short answer. Thank you so much. That was a great answer. Very thought provoking. Um, so Eddie, I have a question for you. Um, from your experience in working with Tav Hayusher, are you noticing different worker experiences in Tav certified restaurants? Definitely. So at the Tav Hayusher, we, we fight to make sure that worker rights are met. And we fight to make sure that we uplift kosher restaurants and that workers have at least have access to getting paid on time, to getting breaks, to, to, to literally just uplift the, the basic human needs of a, of a worker in a kosher establishment. Uh, recently, uh, last month, we, we had the, the, the pleasure of visiting the East Coast and, and visiting our friends in, in, in New Jersey and in New York. And I was able to walk a lot. And let me tell you, you walk a lot in New York. I was walking and, and, and talking to restaurant owners and talking to uh, workers in, in kosher establishments. And there was a clear difference, let me tell you. There was a clear difference in experience of what we, what we were seeing. And I'm going to also use Plant Burger in my experience here because I had a great experience at Plant Burger. And I'm going to start off with talking about some of the experiences that I've had with negative places where we've literally had a, a worker come out and tell us, in, almost in tears, tell us how they were saying that they were not treated well. They were not treated even closely well. They were treated really badly. And I could see the, the, the pain in this person's voice as he spoke to me in Spanish. I could feel the, the emotion coming out of him. He said, nobody's there for us. And then looking at the complete different reaction and emotions from restaurants that are, are phenomenal. When I went into Plant Burger, of course, they had no idea who I was. They had no idea who I was. You can almost see the complete difference of employees who are working at a place that they want to work for. And you can see the difference at, at a place where employees are happy or employees are being treated well because the environment is an environment that's uplifting. Folks want to be in that space. Let me tell you that plant burger I went to in, in, in uh, downtown Manhattan was small but felt enormous. Was small but felt enormous because everybody there had such a, an acute quality towards making sure that I tried everything and it was delicious. The person who checked me out not only was making sure that I liked the food, but to let me know that they made it with care and made it know that it was not me what I was consuming. From there, I moved on to asking, well, are you paid on time? Renowned, yes, we are. And we get paid a livable wage. This excites us because not only are we looking at our ethical consumption, we're also looking at our moral consumption. And as Jews, we're looking at our spiritual consumption and how we're uplifting Kashrut and how we're lifting everything and how that combines together. So there's like a clear difference in what we're looking at uh, Taf Hayosha certified restaurants. And we're so blessed that Plant Burger added every single one of their restaurants. And I'm sure I linked up on the chat right there for y'all to, to see every single one of their restaurants all across the East Coast. That partnership is what really starts to shift things. For us as a, as a community, we can start making these moral changes. So yes, thank you so much for that question, Emma. Thank you so much. Great answer. Um, I have another question for Jonah now. How do you think about social change, 
change through an entrepreneurial and or business model. Thanks, Emma. And thank you so much, um, Eddie and Shmuley as well, for those beautiful words and uh, really moving insight um, into, into all these issues. Uh, I'm really glad this is being recorded because, Eddie, I intend on sharing your feedback <laughs> with our teams. It, may, it was so uh, just extremely flattered and, and really glad that you had such a positive experience. Um, so uh, this, this question really... Um, <laughs> Is, is a funny question to me because uh, I happen to have some remarkable parents um, who really from an early age instilled in me the, um, the need to do work that contributes to a better world and to infuse whatever it is that you make your uh, life's work to, to have meaning and to, um, to, to bring uh, peace and happiness and, um, and, and repair the world. And, uh, and so for those of you who may not know my, my family, but um, my mother and father, Seth Goldman and uh, Julie Farkas, uh, were amazing social and environmental entrepreneurs who um, were working in the spheres of homelessness. And my mother was setting up uh, new programs to um, empower homeless people. My father was uh, starting Honest Tea in our basement um, when I was five years old and uh, and so it's always kind of been um, a factor of my life that um, what you do can't just be for you um, and it has to have consideration for others and uh, recognizing also that we have this privilege to, um, to see the world and to, to act on our values. Um, and there's a funny story. Uh, I, was, I was living in Israel um, and I was kind of in between one, one job where I was uh, teaching um, sustainable agriculture on a farm. And I'd been fundraising for a nonprofit called Robin Food, which is amazing. And I encourage you to all check out uh, what Robin Food is doing. Um, they're a food rescue organization in Haifa, and they just have been doing really powerful things recently. Um, but I had an offer, an opportunity to work for, um, for Zoom. And such an attractive offer to go back to the to the west to live in Denver with my community and and uh, and work at this startup and I was talking about it to my parents and they're like there's no way you're going to be doing you know tech sales because that doesn't make the world a better place I'm like well it does have these potential benefits and it can be good for the environment uh, because more people doing virtual meetings you know reduces the fossil fuels and they're like that's not that's not really the the, the impact that you care about and um, and I think there is an argument to be made that like Zoom is doing uh, a, a good thing for um, social justice and for environmental justice, but it's definitely a weaker argument than uh, than <laughs> what we're doing um, in the in the food uh, system um, to repair what I view to be the, one of the most broken systems um, that we live in, uh, and our, our food system is in desperate need of change and in desperate need of solutions and delicious alternatives to. Um, what we've been, you know, taught to believe is as a necessary part of the human diet and just really isn't. Thank you so much. Very well said. Um, 
Rabbi Shmuley, I have a question for you. Uh, how important is it to make these sometimes small choices with our purchases as far as food choices go? Um, how do they create a deeper impact on worker and animal rights? Our personal choices don't matter at all. We should stop talking about them. That's what some people are arguing. And some people even within our camp are arguing them. And they have a decent point. Their point is, We've talked for decades about personal behavioral change. It didn't get us where we need to be. We need systemic over, overhauls, right? I get their argument, right? We need major legislative sweeping changes. We need to stop talking about our light bulbs and talking about meatless Mondays and you know all this stuff. We need massive shifts. And I think they're right, partially. But what I also think is that Personal behavioral change can sustain and fuel all of that. We need the systemic change, but that is so deeply interconnected with personal behavioral uh, um, and, and mental and ideological shifts. And so, yes, it's true that individual change without systemic change is not gonna get us far enough. It's also true that systemic change without individual shifts is not gonna be sustainable. Things can be reversed. We've all seen political wins that get reversed. Candidates um, that we thought were wonderful only to see candidates we thought were corrupt or awful just after. Um, rulings of the Supreme Court that then get you know, reversed decades later. And so systemic changes are, um, are, are flimsy and um, are tenuous. And so we need to have a combination of both. And they need to go hand in hand. And so the problem is personal change is impossible. It's impossible. People have a heart attack and they are so committed to change. And every empirical study says that very few of them follow through on it. The kinds of changes we wish to make, we rarely actually make. And some of us do have stories in our lives where we actually did make major transformative shifts. Maybe you weren't Jewish and you converted to Judaism. Maybe you were in a toxic relationship and you somehow pulled yourself out. Maybe you were a big meat eater and you went vegan, right? Maybe there was some major shift like that in your life. But most people have only like one, maybe two things like that because change is so hard. And so how do we rebuild our communities in a way where we hold each other robustly and compassionately to experiment with moral shifting in our lives? Because it's exciting to experiment, to grow. It's, it's challenging, but if we do it together, it can be fun and meaningful. And um, this is the month, to, once again, to think about it, leading up to Rosh Hashanah, think about some of those experiments. When my wife and I went vegan on our wedding day, we didn't say we're signing the dotted line that we're vegan for the rest of our lives. We said one year experiment. Of course, there was no looking back, but we need tangible, sometimes smaller experiments um, that feel a little bit more gentle and, and, um, and less confining to hold on to. So let's ask ourselves this month, what are a few small experiments we can take on in the coming year, in the coming month, around our personal practices? Um, and maybe we're not committed to a lifelong commitment around them, but that experiment might help us to grow and inspire others as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, Eddie, I have a question for you. 
do workers in the back get the same type of support that workers in the front get? Also, why is it important to speak to all the workers in the kosher restaurants that you all certify? Definitely. That's a great question. Yes. So something we, and I, and I saw this in the chat room, uh, in the chat here, where they were talking about how immigrants are uh, working in murder houses and slaughterhouses uh, have to receive psychological help because of what they're seeing. Well, what we're seeing is that a lot of undocumented immigrants that work in establishments like these or immigrants in general are, are often treated less than. And, and that's just and also in the general um, restaurant industry. We see the awful abuse that can go from the restaurant industry. I recently watched a, a show on, on uh, Hulu where they, they showed how the toxicity of the restaurant culture. And unfortunately, the folks that end up getting the bluntness of of and more or less the awfulness are typically the folks who are um, migrants. Um, and what we do is we try to make sure that we do full circle 360 point of vision, being able to talk to folks, being able to have one-on-one -on -one conversations. Uh, luckily, I have the privilege of being able to speak Spanish. And uh, when, when folks uh, are, are talking to me and hearing me and they hear my accent in Spanish saying, hola, buenas tardes, you know, that shifts dynamics because I'm not an, a government agency. I'm not somebody who's there to, to bring pressure on them. And I'm able to have conversations with folks. And we're able to see that folks in the back may not have the exact same treatment that folks in the front do. That the, the cashiers may not be having the same exact experience that folks in the back are having. That's why it's so important for all for us uh, in the Taf Hayosha and Uri Latetics work to be able to have those full conversations with everybody so that we can fully see that folks are getting paid well, that folks are getting breaks, that folks are able to have equity in, in their workplace, to be able to, to thrive. And once these things are, are, are followed through, you see the night and day difference of the way that service is presented, the way that quality food is presented. Is, is something super, super important. So yeah, there's a clear difference in the way that we see how workers in the front are treated versus workers in the back, especially in migrant communities. That's why for us, it's so important to do a thorough check. Thank you. Awesome, thank you so much. Um, well, I'm going to go ahead and ask all three of you the same question. Um, we'll start with Jonah, which is how does your identity tie in everything we're talking about animal and worker rights and, and Judaism. Thank you so much for the question, Emma. Um, I, <laughs> it's a little difficult, I suppose, to make the distinction because I think they've all kind of blended together into my life. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, but certainly the values of um, Tzedek, Rachamim Rabim, uh, Chesed, like Tikkun Olam, Ava and Simcha are like the the guiding principles. Uh, I think of my life um, to pursue justice, to pursue happiness, and uh, protect life. And they're something that we've infused in our brand of Plant Burger um, in the early uh, days of um, opening our first restaurant. We created these five deep-seated beliefs, which definitely tie into those same Jewish values that I mentioned, um, so that we would have a moral compass as a business and, uh, and be able to hearken back to this in, in moments of um, difficult decisions uh, and 
those, so those values were number one, to bring joy. Um, and, uh, it's a really important value. This is the number one priority, um, is to bring people joy, to bring joy to the world. Uh, number two is to respect and celebrate all life. Um, and this is a value that we have, uh, ultimately it has to do with our value proposition, which is to give people an alternative that is an upgrade, um, rather than a sacrifice compared to animal, uh, products and celebrating that we can do this today without compromise. Uh, we can, we can do this without taking the life of, um, 80 billion sentient creatures on the, on the planet. Um, and that is exciting and empowering. And so, um, our third value, uh, intention, uh, to act with intention, of course, the value of Kavana is here that, uh, we want to build a culture, um, in our workplaces, in our company that is about education, empowerment, systemic change, togetherness, um, and, uh, <clears throat> and everything we do from, you know, from sourcing to packaging, you know, as <laughs> Rabbi Shmuley said, it's not, it's not always perfect. We're not there yet. But being intentional about what we are doing and what we, the business practices we are supporting, ultimately, I would love to get to 100% compostable packaging. Um, we're, we're, we're still struggling uh, to really um, fulfill all of our commitments, uh, given the supply chain, given the challenges and where, just where we are. Uh, but of course, intention is ever present in our, in our business decisions. Connecting to the source. Um, think that that value is uh of course relatable to uh to judaism to understand uh the community that you're a part of and then of course create positive change together um so i think there's definitely a, a lot of um under underlying uh jewish values in um the culture of Plantburger, which of course is a reflection of my uh identity at a certain level and um and my life but i I thank you for the question. I think um, there's a lot more there, but I'll just hold it to that. No, that's great. Thank you so much. Um, Rabbi Shmuley, if you have any, anything to say on this. Wow. Well, you know, we, when we look at the Aleph Bet, the, uh, the Hebrew alphabet, um, it's been said before that um, the word for truth is emet, Aleph, Mem, Taf. Um, and those words are, are perfectly spaced out within the, the, uh, the Aleph Bet, right? Aleph in the beginning, Mem in the middle, and Tuf at the end. Um, but the word for lies or Sheker, Shin, Kuf, Resh, are right next to each other in the Aleph Bet. So if you're zoomed in too close, you get Sheker, you get lies. And if you zoom out to a bigger picture, you get the Emet, you get the truth, ultimately. And I think that that's also the case with a God consciousness. That in a God consciousness, in a self-consciousness, we are like, like zoomed in so close on the micro. But when we go to a God consciousness, we zoom out to the macro picture. We can see so much more that's happening. And we often talk about Selim Elohim, that all human beings are created in the image of God. But on a Kabbalistic level, we know there are sparks of holiness in everything. And when we start to see those sparks and our ability to elevate them ultimately and be elevated by them, I think that my identity is found there. My identity is found in striving for a God consciousness that ultimately sees trapped light in everything within myself and within others and a need for healing and liberation 
of all this. And so that's why I think the work Jewish Veg is doing and Shemayim is doing on, on, the, on the animal uh, advocacy side is deeply a spiritual movement about liberating those sparks from confinement. And even more, it's a godly movement of emulating the divine ways of compassion and ultimately of the, a God who aligns with the suffering. Um, that that's where we need to ultimately be is in the place of suffering. And even more than just God doing it, Mashiach, it says in Sanhedrin in the Talmud, that the Mashiach will be found at the city gates wrapping bandages, right? That the Mashiach, the Mashiach is a healer and one being healed. Our pathway towards redemption is to never give up on that, that life is not just about happiness and my personal joy, although that's important for our own self-care and our own, our own um, you know, appreciation of our lives. But even more, we're here to bring healing. We are here to work together to liberate. And that, um, I feel so grateful to be um, an American Jew in the 21st century, where we are all empowered um, to take responsibility for broken systems and to do whatever we can each day of our lives um, to, to heal and elevate. Excellent, thank you so much. Um, Eddie, do you have anything to say on this? I, yeah, I think that this this fight is is one of the most beautiful fights, and 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 to continue to to advocate for because I I believe it it definitely incorporates so much of my identities into one thing. Um, I was raised by a single mom who worked in the restaurant businesses her her entire time. I remember how um, my mom would struggle to make sure that her check would come in on time because that's what paid the bills. That's what paid the bills. And I remember how, mom, how my mom showed me how food is a unifier. Food is a unifier that unifies every single one of us. Because I don't know about y'all, but I've never been angry eating a really good burger, especially from Plant Burger. I've never been angry and been like, you know what? I'm not listening to you, right? I've never been angry eating some really good French fries, especially when they're like so fresh. So food is such a beautiful unifier that could really bring us together to have these conversations, to push us into these conversations about our ethical consumption and what it is that our funding is going towards and how that could contribute to positive change. And with my Judaism, looking at the standpoint of, 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 of pushing for hesed and kindness and, and seeing how we can really be intentive in, 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 in having that intent in us and our consistency and having that consistency of making sure that we're making right choices each and every one time. Just as we consistently bring in Shabbat, we should consistently have those moral choices that truly start to bring in positive change into our communities. That's what I think really cultivates everything that we do here. And this is why I'm so excited that we're partnering with, with Shemaim. And it really excites me that we were able to collaborate with Plant Burger because we see the, the same mission that Plant Burger has, we see it. And I love the saying on Plant Burger's website, uh, eat the change you wish to see in the world. Uh, I love that because that was my uh, senior quote, uh, but I, obviously mine was be the change you wish to see in the world. So I love the little switch and pun in, in, in the Plant Burger website. Uh, and and that truly is how, how everything comes full circle over a meal, right? Over, over a meal, we can truly start to, to see how everything kind of wraps together. Great, thank you so much. Um, do any of the three of you have anything you'd like to add or share before I go ahead and ask questions from the audience? No? All right. 
Um, so if anyone has questions, go ahead and uh, raise your hand and uh, I will unmute you and, and let you ask. I'm trying to look, oh, I see, okay, Nina. Can you unmute? Oh, there we go. Hi. 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 Um, this is so wonderful. And I have to first share that I, until now, I had no idea that Uri Litzedek and Shemayim were not the same organization. I thought it was all linked up. So I'm glad that you're officially joining forces because they're both wonderful. Um, shout out to Jonah also. I live in Aspen Hill, Maryland in Rockville. And before Plant Burger opened, actually there's one near me now that delivers directly to, to us, to people in my, in my um, shawl. Before that, we had to drive all the way to Silver Spring to pick up our orders. And it's really, um, not only is the food fantastic, but it's really opened up a lot of opportunities for um, people who are vegan even vegetarian, it happens to be kosher and it was the first kosher vegan restaurant in our area. Um, my rabbi's actually a mashkiach at, at my local one at the Whole Foods in Rockville. And um, on a personal level, I have four children, three of them, my three sons don't keep kosher. And every time they come over to my house, I'm cooking and cooking and cooking and trying to make all kinds of vegan foods palatable to them. And they always complain about it. Um, now, when they come over, if they're coming over one night, we're playing chess, we just call, go on the app and Plant Burger delivers food and they're so happy. And they're, they're carnivores also. So it's really, it's life-changing, I think, um, for people who need to be convinced that you can eat vegan food and not feel like you're deprived. It's so delicious. It's really great. So thank you for um, continuing to expand. It's really, it's been wonderful for us. So my question, um, I guess to all three of you, um, I live, my shul is um, Kila Pardes is a fabulous, fabulous community of wonderful people. Um, Uri Tabalowski's just, he's super rough. He's a super rabbit. He's phenomenal. He's a vegetarian. And I would say at this point, maybe half of my shawl is vegetarian. And within that 50%, we have about five or six vegan families. A couple of years ago, um, when you all offered the first um, go vegan, shawl go vegan plan, a friend of mine from Shul simply posted the flyer on our Facebook page. And it was met with quite a bit of anger from a handful of members who feel very, very strongly that considering veganism is just totally inappropriate. There's someone who feels that even eating dairy on Shavuos is controversial that halacha really doesn't allow you to go for so many meals without eating meat. So I guess my question is, um, what is, what is the best approach to try to convince the shul that we need to move towards, um, veganism 
in an effort to really embrace all these different Torah values um, without creating friction. And I know like my rabbi would do it in a heartbeat. He would have the shulga vegan in a heartbeat, but no one wants to put him in that position. And it's, real, it's really challenging. And um, every time we've had, to con had conversations about it, you know, just with people, um, there are core people who get very, very upset and feel it's almost an affront to their, to their Torah. So really would love an idea or suggestion because I feel strongly about it. Thank you so much. Um, does anyone want to jump in with an answer? I'm happy to speak to it, but I'll step back if anyone else wants to go first. I just want to say thank you so much, Ian. That was such an amazing endorsement. <laughs> and I'll, we'll message you later to uh, get the rights to use that as a commercial. But um, no, thank you. That, that was really very sweet of you. And I'll, I'll uh, pass it back to you, Rabbi Shmuel. Awesome. Thank you. I know there's many different views on this um, and I appreciate all you shared so much, Nina. And um, we want a whole big tent community of people with different theological beliefs, different political beliefs, um, different commitments. We want to be a, a pluralistic community in many ways that, you know, holds that diversity together and mm -hmm. that is tolerant of diversity. And yet we also need to flag the urgency on institutional changes here. And so I really think that we need to make this non-threatening and don't have people feel like we're stealing their meat away from them. We're stealing their happy food. We're imposing a policy upon them. Because, um, yeah, I, I, I could see why that would anger people who, uh, whose emotions or identity are tied up with their, uh, with their food in, in, in some ways that, you know, might make sense for them. Um, and, um, and rather... How do we build this around positivity? How do we build this around new food options that are just great and amazing for everyone? And how do we um, model, model and inspire? And so like, I remember I was getting breakfast with a rabbi in LA like 15, you know, 15 years ago and we ordered coffee and he ordered almond milk. Now today, everybody knows about almond milk and oat milk and rice milk and you know hemp milk and soy milk and you know and the twenty five others. But fifteen years ago, I was like almond milk. Like, what are you talking about? There's there's only milk. Like, what? I had no idea what he's talking about. And I and then I said, why, but why would you even order that? And he's like, well, like why would I choose to get milk that exploits cows in, in horrific ways if the other milk I can get like tastes just as good and is and is, you know, probably even better for me. And he, and, he, and he didn't in any way try to push it on me. He just reflected on his own thinking. And it, really, um, and it really opened up my eyes in that moment. And I think many people have simply never thought about some of the issues. And the more we can comfortably and positively introduce them to that, um, I think is really great. And so I think with the Synagogue Vegan Challenge, which we're currently recruiting folks for, I think we want to continue to do positive Jewish vegan education, do po positive food, um, you know, options, and not have those people feel like they're under attack or threatened, but, um, you know, just have them, you know, feel like they're welcomed into it. I know that's not always so easy, but Nina, I, I appreciate you flagging that because many people have shared that with us, that this is an affront to their, you know, religious ideas. 
Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I think we have time for one more question and I see Richard has his hand up. So I will ask you to unmute there. There we go. Okay, first, to all the panelists for all you're doing and for your wonderful uh, explanations and discussions tonight. Now I put some of this on the chat. As you may know, the UN Secretary General has said the climate situation is a cold red for humanity and delay is disaster. And as you all know, this summer has been so incredible with the droughts, the wildfires, the floods, the storms, uh, you know, it's just uh, amazing. Pakistan, one third of it is flooded. China, uh, drought, US in a way. So anyway, bottom line, how do we get this message out, the urgency of the changes and to get people to realize that there's no way to, we're gonna have a chance even to avert a climate catastrophe without a major, major shift to plant-based diets. And by the way, uh, if you advertising, I started putting in the chat. This Thursday, I've organized a Zoom with eight super experts, many of whom have written books on, uh, on that. One is called Food is Climate. Anyway, we're trying to address Thursday, 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern time. Uh, how can we prevent a climate catastrophe? So again, uh, uh, I'll put it in the chat, the, the uh, link to that. So the bottom line is how do we get the urgency of the situation out to people to get uh, the UN Secretary's message about how serious it is out to people and realize that, uh, you know, if we don't solve this climate catastrophe, there's going to be really no future for future generations. Thank you so much for sharing. And I do see that um, information in the chat. Um, if anyone else wants to see that, do any of our panelists want to speak to this or? Yeah, I'll go ahead and share some thoughts. Thank you so much, Richard, for sharing that. Indeed, it's, it's such a red flag now that the sounds have been alarmed and, and sounding for such a long period of time. Um, I think that there's an important piece of, of, of making sure that when we're talking about the narrative on climate change, we're not talking about it through a futuristic sense. That we're not just saying in the future, our kids will be facing these systems and our kids will be, our kids as kids will be facing this in reality, we're facing this right now. You know, uh, here in Phoenix, we're seeing some of the highest rates of asthma. That is not natural. That is not natural at all. We're seeing that houses here, Phoenix is going to be unlivable in 50 years, uh, according to scientists here. You know, these, these are real issues that are happening right now. We're seeing the lack of water in states. We're seeing how the lack of water is trickling down to even places like in Sonora, Mexico, who thrives off of the Colorado River and are now seeing nothing. And we're seeing that some of these communities are dying because of this right here, right now. So I think it's so important that when we're talking and having these conversations, we do it in the shift to show that these are real issues happening to people right now. And this is an issue that is so cyclical that it affects everybody, right? When we were supporting migrants here at Uri Lutzetic at the border, a lot of the folks lost 
everything because they can no longer grow the crops that they've been growing for years, right? They weren't fleeing violence per se that was eradicating their communities, but they were fearing hunger and poverty because they could no longer farm the crops that they were farming for so many years. So that's an important piece that I think that is often not really talked about. Thank you so much, Richard, for that great point. Well, thank you. And thank you, Eddie, for chiming in. Um, Jonah, did you have something? Yeah, I just had a, I totally agree, Eddie. And um, I had uh, just one other thought here. Um, I think the issue you bring up of climate change is obviously devastating and can feel so overwhelming. And this eco-anxiety or like this, this feeling of fear um, around the climate uh, is also a moment to galvanize people, to inspire and motivate them and change the story. Um, and I think, you know, telling a story to, especially to the younger generation of hope that people, young people and anyone has the power to save the planet um, is a powerful message. And the reality is we have the solutions. We know exactly what we need to do. We have the technologies. We have the understanding of food systems. We can't understand everything, but we know that if we do adopt these solutions, we will be able to not only mitigate, but reverse climate change. There's an amazing resource um, project drawdown, which I can drop into the chat. Um, but it's so exciting to me. And it, when I like, when I read through the, the solutions of Project Drawdown or when you, you can watch, there's also a great TED Talk um, where you talk about climate solutions. It's amazing to think that we live in a world where we understand this, right? We know that we have endangered ourselves. We're going to go through the Anthropocene if we don't do something immediately. And yet we also know we have the solutions right here to do it. And so, can yes, it can be very frustrating to see that we're not adopting them as urgently as they need to be adopted. But if we tap into those solutions uh, and implement them through, you know, as Robert Schmuller was taking, was saying, uh, small pivots and changes in our individual lives, in our business, uh, finding ways to weave ecology into our economy again, um, and and develop. We have the marketplace solutions. We really do, uh, and it's just a matter of having a spiritual, ecological awakening as people to. Um, reignite that connection back to our planet and our planet's life force system that we depend on. Um, so I, I hope to tell that story um, that young people have the power to save the planet and, uh, and share those resources with everyone. Um, I'm also working on a comic book, but that's a side note uh, where kids literally do have superpowers and they do save the planet. So Follow up with me if you're interested in uh, developing those storylines. But um, there is hope. It's not over yet. We can do this, and uh, it's not too late. You know, I would just like to mention something quickly. I get a lot of emails condemning the oil and gas industry. And then I ask, what about the agricultural, you know, the animal agricultural industry? And they don't answer. And it's just... Uh, Every, it seems that everybody's just ignoring it. They prefer to talk about oil and gas, but uh, when it comes to animal agriculture, they are, they are, they are silent. And um, so I just um, unsubscribe.
I, you know, I've had enough. I've told them why, what about, you know, there is, there is, and that's actually the clothing industry too. You know, there are other industries that are, that are um, destroying our planet aside from oil and gas, but nobody talks about them. Yes. Thank you so much. Um, I think we have time for one more. I see Alicia raising her hand. Hi, everybody. First of all, I want to thank you so much for having this event because it's so um, supportive and so encouraging to see that they, there is a community, especially a Jewish community, vegan, that uh, is helping with, with this big, tremendous cause. I just want to introduce myself, too. I'm in Los Angeles, and the first question I wanted for Joan is, when are we getting our own plant burgers in L.A., please? Definitely plenty here, but we definitely need you. I'm originally from Argentina. I am with Jewish Veg. I'm the uh, chair of the Jewish Veg LA chapter. I'm also in the national board with Jeffrey. Thank you, Jeffrey, for including me there. And I have my own little group that I started eight years ago when I became vegan after 32 years of being vegetarian. And when I became vegan, I started Vamos Vegan. I'm from Argentina. And a lot of people think that in Argentina, that's all you do, it's eat meat. Whereas in US, you have, you know, meat in every single meal and we only do it maybe at lunchtime or a nice barbecue in the weekends. But um, I was able to, you know, through my group and obviously through Jewish Veg, we are helping change minds and stomachs into a more vegan friendly uh, environment and world and especially here in LA you we do see a lot uh, if you know Kevin Hart just opened his fabulous hard house here that is six seven dollar burgers and there's lines out the door um, there's definitely a big shift but I'm with all of you nothing's fast enough I'm just grateful for for anybody who says you know thanks for you opening our minds I eat less meat or I'm dairy free or I'm totally vegan or at least vegetarian and people are getting the message. So I just want to thank you for having this. I wish more people would be, you know, involved and interested in the topic, but we're all, each of us are making a big difference around us and just know that too. I just, you know, showing my support to you guys and thank you for doing it back at us all because we really need to make a big change. I'm big friends with Richard here and I see the, the impetus and his brilliant mind at his age and God willing, all of us, you know, have the strength to keep going and to see a vegan world in our times. So thank you for all you do. Thank you so much. And thank you for being here. Um, so do any of our panelists have final last words to say before we wrap up? I just want to wish everyone a Shana Tova, meaningful, healthy, joyful year um, in all ways and a redemptive year for us to continue to succeed in moving, this, moving these movements forward. Absolutely. Thank you so much. <laughs> all right. Well, we have to wrap up now, but I just want to say again, thank you so much to everyone who came. It means so much to all of us. And uh, these recordings will be posted later on our social medias and everything. And thank you all so much. Have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye. Thank you, Emma.